American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of American Hammers Radio. This is a brand new season, season two, episode number one. I am your host, Tex of the Fresno Irons. Gracious to be back and joined as always by the luscious, lovely, lucrative sounds of Liam Bright. Liam, how are you this evening? Oh, I'm doing absolutely fantastic. It's wonderful to be back. It feels like uh, riding a bike, right? You just you get right back on, start pedaling all the way down to Brokesville because that apparently seems to be where our club likes to uh, situate itself. So as long as I can bring my lucrative tones to the podcast, then maybe that'll be some money that we could pretend that we have. Um, I, I think uh, you are wistful thinking there, very <laughs> wistful thinking. Um, it, it, it's a situation, Liam, where uh, we've been gone for a while. Obviously, COVID-19 has really impacted our ability to do um, this podcast, but we are very excited to be back. We do want to apologize to all 13 of our listeners out there <laughs> that uh, have missed us, um, but we are back Um We'll just do a quick uh, season recap. Obviously, West Ham United had to finish the season under a condensed form due to COVID-19. West Ham, by the skin of their teeth, were able to accumulate 39 points and finish 16th in the table and were able to stay up, thanks largely in part to the aggressively amazing form of Michele Antonio, who ended up getting Player of the Month in July. Um, Absolutely uh, incredible. Had four goals against Norwich City. Um, It was an incredible uh, thing to watch, but I think we all watched, and there were definitely things we go, well, where was this form throughout the rest of the season? Liam, what were your thoughts on the way we ended the season? Well, it was nice to see them kind of come together and find find their form. I mean, you, you said it eloquently with the fact that uh, Mikel Antonio really turned it on when we needed him do it, to do it the most. I mean, I've, I thought he had a, a, a pretty great season overall, and I think even – you know, you think back to the season prior, right, where he hammered in the uh, the the first first goal to to lead us to victory at uh, the you know new Scheidhart Lane for <laughs> for the game against Tottenham, <laughs> and then galloped his way to the to the sideline. I loved it, man. I th- I think seeing him uh, uh, be able to knock in those additional goals and put him to that ten goal mark, which gave him a nice little uh, healthy bonus, courtesy of Mark Noble relinquishing a uh, a penalty to him. I thought I thought it was great. I, I absolutely love to see that, and I, I think that this gives us hope uh, going into this season that we have more attacking options than we per- previously thought possible. Well, what's interesting, let me say, more attacking options. What's funny is the attacking options we're supposed to count on tend to not come through for us, and it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, I, I have a few thoughts on the way this season ended. Liam, I I watched the way that we played, especially the last three games. We had a win and a couple of draws. Uh, We drew against Aston Villa last game of the year. The week before, we had drawn against Manchester United, and then we pulled off the the nice win against Norwich City, which was a massive game, probably the biggest game of the year, and we came through in 1-4-0. This is what I realized. I don't know what it is about this team, but we're way better than 16th. We have a roster better than 16th. Um, it's an incredibly infuriating thing to watch when your team starts to play that well and it's too little too late. When we we as uh, supporters want to be challenging for European football, that was the dream we were sold, Liam. That was yeah. the dream we were sold. And yet 
we're always in a, a I, th- I want to say this and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Ever since we've been at the London Stadium, we've been in a relegation strap late in the year every single time. I want to say yeah, or at least in, in the last 10 years, right? Sullivan and uh, uh, Gold came in, in in 2010, right? So the 2009-2010 season, we we were able to stay up. 2010-2011, uh, we went down. Uh, 11 and 12, we were obviously in the championship. We immediately got promoted back up only after the one season. So, uh, you know, since then, I want to say there was maybe one season that we weren't in a scrap towards the end of the year. And I want to say that was the last season at the Bowl Inn, right? That would have been under uh, Slavin Bilic. We were actually finished, what, seventh at the end of that season. So uh, as far as my memory serves me, since they've taken control, that is the one good season that we've had. Otherwise, we have always uh, battled at the bottom of the table or at least the bottom half. And that's and that is where the frustration arises in me. That's what I cannot stand. You drop forty million on Philippe Anderson, forty-five million on Sebastian Haller. You go pick up a, a, who I think is a very serv- serviceable winger in uh, Yarmolenko. And I know that the the, the jury's out on him. Uh, maybe <laughs> some people have already made their mind up on him. I still think he's an incredibly dangerous player. He had the goal that saved us the draw against Aston Villa. Granted, it was a little bit of a beneficial bounce, <laughs> but I, I look at this team and I look at their roster and I'm, I'm, let me, let me just put this out there. When I look at the table, Liam, and I, and I look at what West Ham United did last year, I'm going to read for you something at the top of the table. And this is what I want to point out because this is where my frustration lies. Liverpool wins the league with 99 points. understand followed by man city and man United. The fourth place team, Liam, was Chelsea with 66 points. Let me refresh your memory. We beat them twice. Yeah. We beat them twice. And they have what a lot of people consider a far superior squad to us, and we beat them twice. And we didn't just beat them twice. Liam, the last time we played them, we had to score four goals to get three because (laughs) one of them got disallowed for a BS once again, VAR screws over West Ham United, and we had to score four to get three, and we still beat them, and we came back twice in that game to win it. So this team clearly has the ability, with the current roster, no additions, to be challenging a team in the top four. We mentioned Man United. We played very well against Man United this year. So, Liam, this is what I don't understand, and this is... This is the biggest questions I have coming out of the season. Why is it that this squad we know on paper is very good? Why can't they put it together? We tried to change the manager. We didn't see much of a difference. The fans got off their backs and stopped protesting inside the stadium. We haven't seen much of a difference. So that leaves it with one consistent thing. There's one common denominator. G. S B. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's frustrating, right? Because you look at, at, as you said, is that is the common denominator in, in season after season after season. And I don't think that it is just the, uh, I, I don't think it's just their poor decision-making skills or, uh, the bad business that they perform season after season, you know, tr- uh, transfer, transfer season after transfer season or transfer window. I should say, I, I, and I think that they do create a negative atmosphere 
for the managers, for the players. I think that we are still the laughing stock of the Premier League with the facilities we have at Rush Green that have not been invested in. They're porta cabins. It's a joke. It, it it looks like it looks like caravans pulled up in a in a in a yard. Like this doesn't make sense to me. That we are what the 17th, 18th richest team in in all of world football, and yet we can't get our heads out of our asses. And I don't think it's the players. I, I really don't think it's the managers, although you and I had spoke at nauseum about uh, Manuel Pellegrini's inability to get the best out of the players that he had. And then you look at what David Moyes was able to do, yet again came in, righted the ship in the last six months, was able to, to keep us out of relegation. Uh, I mean, you could make an argument that with Jared Bowen and Thomas Suchek that these were both uh, Sullivan uh, uh, targets when it comes to transfers that came in in January, but also remember they came in like deadline day in January and it looked like we weren't even going to be able to get those numbers over the board. So yet again, here are players that we're trying to throw in at the last minute to try to make a change to a team that should have been able to operate even without those players. But you've got people like, as you said, Felipe Anderson, we've got, you know, our diamond Manuel Lanzini who just have not had a season uh, or this last season was not one where they were uh, us as fans felt like they were really contributing to the overall goal of competing for European placement. I think that we have we have become reliant on people like uh, Robert Snodgrass and Mark Noble to try to dig us out with heart when we should have the talent and the perseverance of these. Uh, I don't know if you want to call them. Uh, what, like, not, oh man, what am I thinking? Like flash players, right? You've got guys that should be able to uh, to create, right? They should be able to be able to get us the goals, should be able to get us the win, and we just haven't seen that. We've seen people grossly underperform, and I don't think that it's so much the manager. I don't think it's so much the players. I think a lot of this does stem from the negativity that is brought on from the board. Uh, Liam, I think you you put it into in two um, a beautiful concoction of melody there. And what is incredibly <laughs> frustrating for me is we end yet another season and yet we're asking more questions about guys that we brought in. So like every West Ham fan, we're glued to the Twitter. We're glued to any update that we can find um, just to figure out what is West Ham's plan? How are they going to bring in new players? And so moving into talking about transfers, this was the most frustrating window I can remember as a West Ham fan because it was announced early in the window from very reliable sources that West Ham United had no money and were not going to be active in the market and they were going to be sellers and a team. And you think about that for a minute, Liam, a team that finished 16th. If all you're doing is selling, well, let's go ahead and book our place in the championship for the season of 2021, 2022, because it doesn't look like we are interested in the slightest to maintain our Premier League status. Sometimes I wonder if GSB, their goal is to sit there and spend the least amount of money and stay in the Premier League. Because if they do that, then they're just raking in that check every year. But remember, the further we finish down the table, the less money we actually receive from the Premier League at the end of the season, which does impact our transfer budget. So all these numbers, we can throw numbers left and right. And the one thing about stats that we all have to understand is I, we can all manipulate stats to say whatever they need to say. The fact is this. West Ham have underperformed. They have a, they have a managerial 
nightmare of a mess. We don't quite know who the right manager is. We're currently stuck with a man who I am not going to back. Um, I don't believe David Moyes is the answer. And if you do believe David Moyes is the answer, you know, right on to you. And that's a proper thought for you to have. But at the end of the day, what has David Moyes done? He has a losing record at West Ham United in his two stints. So the transfer window is open. It's coming down to a close. And West Ham United have not brought anybody in other than academy players. They have brought nobody in to challenge for the first team. So, Liam, when we're looking at this transfer window for West Ham United, what are your thoughts? What are your takeaways? And most importantly, I want you to get upset, and I want to hear you (laughs) sing all the negativity out of your soul and bless it upon the GSB bullshit that they've been providing us. Of course. Well, you you mentioned earlier uh, we could throw out numbers, right? Well, let me throw a couple numbers at you. So six players have actually left. So we have we have gotten six players off the wage bill, and this is amounting to around 27.5 million pounds. So that sounds great, but out of six players, that seems low, right? Yes, because yet again, GSB doesn't do the good business, and we're selling off players for less money than we bought, brought them on for. You all remember Jordan Hugel, right? Yeah, exactly. So we took, I think I want to say it was like a 3 million, 4 million pound loss on this player who never really saw the field for West Ham United. And I think that this is uh, th- this is not a one-off, right? This is the same issue that we have had time and time again. You and I have talked in a previous episode about the revolving door of strikers that we've seen come through this club. It's something like 34 different strikers, and I want to say it was seven of which never even found the back of the net for the club. So here we have consistently signed players that have not made an impact other than on the wage bill and a created a deficit when we go to sell them off. So sure, six players get sold off, million. Where's the money, right? Where's the money gone? And you can't tell me that even at 16th place that we didn't have money that still came in from Premier League, right? So we still got paid. It wasn't as much as if we had finished, you know, top half of the table, but it was still money. They were still broadcasting games on, on Sky, right? That's still broadcast money that still comes in. So where's the money? And this is, this is the, the issue that everybody took with this right from the gates is that GSB came out saying we're skint. We've got no money. Uh, we're going to have to sell some players off. That's that's our only option. It's the only way we're going to be able to bring players in. Cool. The, the excuse of it being COVID as a reason is the same excuse that every team could have played. Yet every other team in the Premier League has signed at least one player. We are the only team that has done no business as of yet. And when you really think about that, right, we've missed out on Eberechi Eze to Crystal Palace, another London uh, club that is far less valuable than our club. Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson both went to Newcastle. Cedric Kipti and Anthony Robinson went to West Brom and Fulham, uh, respectively. Matty Cash went to Aston Villa. None of those teams would I rank as a higher team than us. Even if they ended on the table higher than we did last season, I would not view them as a more profitable or a more financially sound club than us. So why are they able to do the deals, but we're not? Why do we have two bids in for James Tarkowski from Burnley, of all places, and both bids have been turned down? Why are we overbidding on a player from Burnley who has said he does not want to come to our club? 
This, this is just consistently bad business from businessmen that want to tout themselves as some sort of God's gift to our football club, as though they saved us from the terrors of administration. You didn't save shit, and it's apparent because we have no money. Well, even if they did save it, Lee, even if they did, what they've done since they saved us, they've lived long enough to see themselves become the villain. Yeah. And if you're not going to make any adjustments with the way you do things, look, I, I had a, um, a teacher one time in college say this line to me, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. The reality of the situation is GSB have not changed anything that they have done. The only thing they've changed is the venue. All right. (laughs) Outside of that, you know, like, let's be a hundred percent honest and I'm not in no way, shape or form. Am I trying to discredit this player? But the truth is Dimitri Pyatt was a largely unknown man that we picked up for 11 million from Marseille on the cheap. And if it wasn't for Slavin Bilic really fighting for that transfer, we never get him. It wasn't a GSB sign. It was 100% a Slavin Bilic sign. Slavin Bilic wanted Dimitri Payet. He had tried to get him on at Besticus before he came to us. And then when he gets to London, London obviously is a much more attractive place than going to play for Besticus in Turkey. Right. So they they get in Dimitri Payet and we hit a gem. Now, Dimitri Payet, we knew the risks about him, and he obviously did what he always does at pretty much every club he's ever been at when he wants to get out. Um, but outside of Dimitri Payet, I mean, I'm really curious. Name a signing that has been an incredibly impactful signing for West Ham United. Because I, I can't name one outside of Dimitri Payet. We've had some decent ones. Right. Decent. But we haven't had anybody. Now, this Thomas Suchek guy... If he keeps doing what he's doing, he may be that guy. But right now, like, I have not seen a guy. And when you tell me that we're saying we have no money and the only player of note that I'm aware of that they want to sign is a player that doesn't want to come and Tara Scott, I'm not even going to pronounce your name right, the Burnley (laughs) defender, the Burnley defender that doesn't want to play for us, then why are you pursuing it? Right. He, He doesn't want to be here. You let him go. The one thing about West Ham United that has been true since the inception of the club in 1895, since the inception, is we are blue collar, we fight, and we may not play the prettiest football, but we're going to give we're going to put in a shift every time we're out there. And I feel like West Ham United, especially from the players, we're starting to lose that identity. Yes, we still have Mark Noble. Yes, he's that guy that will put in a shift every time, but Mark Noble, what is he, 33 now? Uh, I think so, yeah. 33 years old. We might have two more years with him, and he probably, his days as a starter are numbered. If he, I, It would be very interesting to see his role this year. Be very interesting. But, yeah, and, and, and think about at the end of last season, or middle of last season, right, where he was saying it's unfair to rely on him to come in and save a game. And he even mentioned his age. He was like, look, guys, like, I think at that point he was like, I'm going to be 33 in May. The fact that you're that we're relying on me to come in and try to completely change the, the complexity of the game is like that's a recipe for disaster. Like he didn't say it in exactly those words, but it was basically the message that he was putting across. And I have to completely agree with him. The guy has put in his time. Like, yes, he's still the captain right now, but I think that it's because we haven't seen a clear 
concise leader to take over that mantle from him. I think Declan is is getting there. I think Declan has done a fantastic job the times that he's worn the armband, but he doesn't quite command the way that Mark Noble does. But I, I know for a fact that he'll get there as long as he doesn't get sold off like our other academy graduates. Uh, and I think that that ultimately is is part of the backbone of of the of the issue. But um yeah, it's tough to answer. Kind of answer your question. You'd asked before, like, what is a player that we can really think of that we signed that was impactful that didn't ultimately cause chaos in the club? Because you could make the argument for Alnatovich, right? Where he came in, Moyes was the one that put him on from the the wing to a striker. Obviously, completely changed that dude's game. Where is he now? China. Right? When you oh, think he's winning, of, he's winning trophies in China. Let's be <laughs> yeah, clear. He's winning trophies. Winning that's trophies. That's the key. Getting paid. I guess that's all that really matters. But that's that's that is ultimately an issue. Like I think with Jared Bowen, I think that was also a good signing. I think it was a good chance on taking somebody from a championship club. Uh, and you saw how instrumental he was for Hull because they absolutely plummeted down the table after he left. So you know, yeah, you had a good pick in him. You had a really good pick in Thomas Suchek, which I think he slots in really nicely with uh, Declan Rice. But I don't think our midfield was ultimately the biggest problem we had last season. I don't even think our strikers were the ultimate problem we had last year. We were shipping too many goals. It was the center backs could not, we could, we, we struggled to find a consistent pairing in center backs and our full backs were absolutely getting overrun. Yeah, you bring up a good point and this is a, a moment where I'm going to have to eat some crow. Um, I was a huge Balbuena fan. Um, but it's very clear that he is not the player that I thought he was. No. And I want to apologize to all our listeners. I, I, I'm not the smartest guy. I, I never have claimed to be. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, sometimes I think with my heart and we all know our heart is an idiot because it doesn't <laughs> think things through. Um, I was a big Balbuena fan, but again, Balbuena is a guy that we need to get off the books because he doesn't really have a future at the club. He doesn't provide enough competition on the training ground for him to really warrant being there because I think Diop and Ogbana are clearly our best two pairing. And even that pairing is a little sketchy. Well, and Ogbana is getting up there in years now, right? So there's there's a there's a ticking time bomb when it comes to Ogbana with how much how many more seasons he's going to be viable as a defender until he is getting you know skinned alive from a forward that's able to split the center back pairing. And for somebody that's called the general, Balbuena started out well, and then it was just a slow decline from there. Because there were multiple times, especially when Roberto was in goal, where Balbuena would just make the most boneheaded of mistakes. And I don't think it's... it's I'm not going to fault you, man, because what you make, what you lack in brains, you make up for with good looks and charm. So we'll give you a pass in that regard. But I think, I think with Balbuena, ultimately... He started out as a good squad player, but you're 100% right, man. He is not competing for a starting position, and that's what we need. We need to make sure that our bench players are constantly trying to elevate the game of the starting 11 because those guys need to be fearful of losing their position to somebody on the bench. But right now, Aaron Cresswell is not worried about Arthur Masawaku. Ryan Fredericks is not worried about Ben Johnson. You know what I mean? And and before that, it, you know, it's... Uh, it's interesting to me that like we didn't have a more depth in those positions, especially because we typically deploy our fullbacks so high that you would assume that that would be a position that we would need to have a little bit more depth because they're doing so much running, having to get back to be able to cover. Uh, but for whatever reason, that has just never been in our in our game plan. 
You bring up an interesting point when you when you talk about transfers, and I want I want to backtrack for a second. When you talk about a guy like Jared Bowen, Jared Bowen was arguably one of the top five best players in the championship last year. Okay, West Ham United need to understand who they are. So I'm gonna I'm a, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I, this is my case for me to be the director of football for West Ham United. I mean, why are we not targeting the best players? in the championship and giving them the opportunity to come up. We know that we do not have the cachet right now to go to Syria A and pick off an elite striker from Napoli or AC Milan. We can't go get a creative midfielder from La Liga uh, in Spain. We know we can't do that. And we know we can't go get a big bruising defender from the Bundesliga because we're not an attractive situation. Especially with that. So why are we not targeting guys in lower level football that are obviously young and hungry and want the chance to come up like a Jared Bowen, where as in we can go pay 15 million for them. And if they don't work out, 15 million in today's game is a small price to pay for a shot. Yep. And then eventually you're going to hit on some of those guys. And when you do hit on them, then you've got this young nucleus of players then you can go to Spain and get that creative midfielder. Then you can go to AC Milan and go find that striker. Then you can go to the Bundesliga and find that defender. The point that I'm trying to make is West Ham United have to change their whole approach on how their transfer policy is because we are walking around like we are one badass club that people want to play for. And the reality is we are like that girl at a concert that tries to tell you all the different guys she's touched the penis of. And it's a little <laughs> ridiculous We're we're, we're not, we're not anything that's exciting. Yeah. And what, what needs to happen is and it's, it's frustrating for me to say that because I love this club and I want them, but I'm going to try to live in reality here. And I'm going to try to understand we should be targeting the best young English players in the championship to bring them up and give them an opportunity to spread their wings on a team and show what they can do because we have a manager that at, for all intents and purposes, Liam looked like he was willing to give our youth a shot. He, he looked like he was really willing to invest in the academy. And he's and he has said as much, right, that his game plan was to try to trend younger, which we were all in support of because that does lend cr uh, credibility to the idea that he is going to look to the academy. We are called the Academy of Football. Why, why are we not more prominent in allowing those academy players first team minutes? And I love what you're talking about here. Like, why are we not pulling players out of you know, maybe those mid to, mid to high ta table teams out of the championship that they're probably those teams are not going to break into the Premier League or if they do, they're going to be like a Fulham where they go right back down, right? Pop up for a season, drop back down for two, maybe pop up again. Why are we not, why, why have we not found the success like Sheffield, right? Why is Sheffield United, why did they have such a great first season back in the Premier League? Why has Wolves been constantly a threat? Why the last two seasons have they been a European threat? Why, why is Leicester City like a top four contender perennially now? Like it, it, is, it boggles the mind that we see these teams that never in my wildest imagination would I view them as uh, a, a, a more successful team. 
in, in the grand scheme of things than West Ham United. Yet here we are, as we said previously, battling relegation season after season, while these other clubs are sitting comfortably in the top half of the table. We should be that team. There's no reason that we are in a relegation fight, yet Crystal Palace gets to set up at like 10th and 11th place. Why are we not that team? And it's because of the consistently bad business that we do. There, there's the common denominator, and a lot of things have come to a head this week. It's, it's an interesting week for you and I to start back up because there's so much to talk about, and <laughs> yep. we have to cram it all in this one little episode um, that we get to do. And, you know, it, you, this is kind of an easy transition here. We're talking about a manager that wants to invest in our youth, and we're called the Academy of Football. You brought that up. And we, the mentality of this club doesn't match the performance we're putting on the pitch. Yep. So we get we we loan a player out by the name of Grady Diangana. And Grady Diangana goes on loan to West Brom. Uh, West Brom. Uh, obviously, managing West Brom is the one and only Slavin Bilic. God rest your soul. We miss you. Um, <laughs> I know, he's, he's dead to me because he's not here with West Ham United. I still love Slav. Um, we're, what's so curious about this is when you're in an academy and you and you are dedicated to a team and they put you out on loan, what that is supposed to say is, hey, go out on loan, prove that you can do it, get minutes, and then get better. And then when you're done, come back, and we're going to give you a shot with the club. That's the way it's supposed to work. Well, West Ham United, it doesn't work that way. Because West Ham United, what they do is, hey, go over there and play for them. And when you're done, we're going to sell you because that's the only reason we loan you out. It's such a negative message to send to anybody in the academy. Declan Rice breaks through, and I'm so happy that he has because he is probably the first name on the team sheet every single time that we put out a side. But this brings me into the rumor mill. And this is, Liam, this is the most interesting thing that I've heard. And I want to get your thoughts on this. And we discussed this off air. Grady Diangana gets sold for anywhere from 18 to 20 million um, after the figures were already done. Originally, it was noted as 12 million, but it looks like it's 18 to 20. So he gets sold to West Brom. We find out, or at least the rumor is, that David Moyes did not want to sell Grady Diangana. Grady Diangana was part of his plans for the season, as he should have been. If you watched any of the preseason games, when Grady Diangana was on the left side, he was very dangerous and creative. And with your $45 million striker coming out saying, hey, this kid's good, and when he's out there, our $45 million striker, Sebastian Allaire, had a fucking hat trick. Yeah. Okay? So let's, let's remember that. Let's remember that. Allaire, who there is a whole slot of people that say that Allaire is not getting the service he needs at West Ham. That's why he's struggling. So a whole slot of people saying that. Well, Grady Diangana clearly can provide that service. I don't think that's a problem with Sebastian Allaire. Um, I've said it once. I think he's a ba- I think he's a Robin. He's not a Batman. Yeah. Um, he needs a Batman next to him to to be dangerous. But they sell Diangana, and then a day later, Mark Noble puts out a tweet saying that I'm absolutely gutted that we have sold a young prospect like Grady Diangana, all the best to you. And I'm just like, oh my God, our captain is now speaking out against GSB. So then this is where it gets crazy. I wish we had soap opera music to play right now, <laughs> like days of our lives oh, I'll find and all this. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is hands down the craziest story 
that I've heard come out of West Ham United. So apparently at the training ground, with all the players being upset, Karen Brady, fucking Karen Brady, the first lady of fucking bullshit, okay? (laughs) For some strange reason, thinks that she is going to go into the locker room and have a discussion with the players on why they sold Grady Dean Gone. Who the fuck are you? I'm a coach. I coach high school football here in Fresno, California. And I understand there's a big difference into Premier League England. But I'm going to tell you right now, if my principal came in to talk to my team about why they suspended a player, I'm not letting my principal in to do that. No, I'm the person that addresses the team. That's my job. I'm the voice they hear. They don't hear from anybody else. You're not going to sue. Uh, you're not going to um, overstep my authority with my players. So David Moyes apparently does not let her in. Right on you. First time I'm going to say it. Fuck yeah, David Moyes. Hell yeah. Hell Fuck yeah. yeah. Love that he did that. Well, apparently a shouting match happens between the two of them. And Karen Brady says, you're fired. You're fired. Then David Gold, I believe it's Gold, might have been Sullivan. One of the one of the dildo brothers comes <laughs> down and then basically apologizes and they have this and it's this bust up inside and what doesn't make sense then we hear on the training ground it spills over where apparently two of our first teamers go at each other and take each other out on the pitch and one of them's rolling around in pain while the other one's laughing. This is the most crazy story I've ever heard. And now the rumor is that tomorrow, right now, it's 6.45 a.m. in England right now. That's what time it is. Apparently, at any moment in London, (laughs) David Moyes is going to step down as manager of West Ham United one day before the season starts. Liam, what in the actual fuck is going on? So... This is going to be that moment, which I know that Tex is a huge fan of, but this is going to be your listen to Liam, right? So this is going to be the the issue when we talk about uh, the rumors that have been abounding, but we're going to talk about a little bit about the state of the club, right? Where are we right now? Where is West Ham United? It's Yeah, it's in East London, but where are we? We're proper fucked. And I'll tell you why. So this Grady Dean Ghana sale, not only is this undercutting the game plan that David Moyes has, as we saw with the immediate partnership that he had with Sebastian Allaire, who struggled to find the back of the net for the entirety of the season when he came on board. When you have somebody like Mikel Antonio, who is not technically a striker, netting more goals than your 45 million pound striker. So this is not only a problem in that regard, because now you have taken somebody who, you know, Tex, as you said, was vocal about the partnership that he was building with Grady Dean Ghana, but you were also sending a message to your other academy players that the path to first team minutes will ultimately mean you're sold off. And why are you sold off? To compensate for poor business decisions. So we were still in the hole for Allaire's price tag, not only pissing off Frankfurt and uh, showing how unprofessional we are, but also here's another club that will probably never do business with us again. But we were we were consistently sold on this idea that players would want to come to our club with this move to the London Stadium, right? Instead of renovating Upton Park and just adding the seat capacity, even if it was going to go from the 33,000 to maybe 45,000, right? That's still an increase. But instead of doing that, yeah, let's move to London Stadium. It'll be more attractive. We'll be able to be, you know, uh, top club competing for European uh, placement. This is going to be great. 
but it's become increasingly apparent that it doesn't matter where we play. Managers and players alike don't want to be here. As long as Gold, Sullivan, and Brady are in control, and the players that actually do want to stay are just more pounds to line their pockets. So where is, where is West Ham United right now? As I said before, proper fucked. Liam, I don't think you could have said it any better. And if it's okay, Liam, I'm going to add on. <laughs> By all this means. Is, um, this is one thing that absolutely frustrates me. Um, a couple years ago, I believe it was David Gold did an interview with Dave Walker and ex-West Ham employee that um, are, if you're a West Ham fan, those names should stick out to you. They run a podcast called The West Ham Way. And he did an interview with them and talked about his love for the club and talked about that if he ever sold the club, he would make sure that he still had a seat at the table because he grew up a West Ham fan, grew up in East London, loves the culture, loves the team. This is one thing that I want to say about the state of the club. If you love the club that much, why are you not selling out like these other owners are? I know you don't have the money like Chelsea. I know that you don't, you know, aren't backed by an oil family like Manchester City. And I know that you don't have the financial backing and who knows where the hell they get it from, um, Manchester United. So I know that. But if you love the club and you see the fans' toxic response to the, everything that you're doing, at some point you have to look in the mirror. And when you look in the mirror, there's no way that you can tell me that you're happy with what you see. And if you are... I want to tell you right now, there are psychological issues going on. You need to get evaluated, sir. You need to. You absolutely need to. Because if you're the only one saying and everybody else is telling you different and you're the minority, you're the one that has to be willing to change. Right now, I feel like the best thing for GSB, and this is the hard part, we have to find enough people to care about them, which that's just going to be a challenge in of itself. To do an intervention, Liam. Yeah. And we have to tell them, hey, you're fucking up. And they have to hear it. Because the one thing they can do, Liam, that would instill faith back in the West Ham culture and the support in East London is selling the club. Yeah. That's the one thing they can do. Because at some point, if you tell me you care, then well, sometimes it you have to walk away. And it, it, it's an interesting point that you bring up, right? Because this idea that they should recognize the unrest, right? You have players, or you have players now that are speaking out in uh, in concert with your fan base that has been speaking out against you for years now. And it wasn't just because of the move to London Stadium. We have complained because none of the promises that we were sold have have really ever been fulfilled. And you know, you and I did like an entire episode on the, the 10 promises that, that they made. These were the 10 tent poles of moving forward with West Ham United. And I, I, I there's times, man, where I almost feel bad for David Gold because I feel like so many of the poor decision-making uh, is done by Karen Brady and, and David Sullivan. I kind of feel like Gold just gets taken along for the ride. And he may be that, you know, Green Street elite, like, oh, I grew up stone's throw from, from Bolin. But if that was the case, you never would have sold that stadium because you would have felt the you would have felt like that was your home. And you would have said, I'll do whatever it takes to make this stadium work because this was my stadium. You can't talk about growing up on Green Street and then want to move to Stratford. It makes no sense to me. So 
like I want to feel bad for David Gold, but then when I really pick like the minutia apart of his uh, of his his reasoning, it makes no fucking sense to me at all. So, with that being said, uh, there were, what was it earlier earlier in the year there was it was coming out that if they could hold on to the club until 2023, they would not have to pay any taxes back to the government if they were to sell the club. So they could make maximum dollar on the club itself. Now the caveat to that is if they go if we drop to the championship they are going to lose a significant amount of money, mostly from broadcast TV rights because Sky Sports obviously doesn't do broadcast for the championship. I think it's all on ESPN Plus at this point. So in steps, Joe DeGrosa. So Joe DeGrosa uh, last year, or earlier in the year, I should say, was in talks with Mike Ashley over at Newcastle while possibly buying the club. Obviously, there was also vested interest from oil sheiks over in the Middle East, but he is an American businessman that has a consortium that has said recently, like within the last week, that now is the perfect time for American investors to uh, to get involved in European football, specifically the Premier League, as he views it as like the granddaddy of European football. So he says it's it's of our best interest as American investors to get involved with clubs. He has openly said he has had discussions with Newcastle, which apparently have fallen apart. And he has also discussed with one other English football club, unnamed. So a lot of the rumor mill is, and it comes from this guy, ITK underscore secret agent, which I don't know how much stock you can really put in this individual, but he has been dropping hints that there's the possibility that there are American investors that are looking to purchase West Ham. I doubt that anything will happen within this season. And I feel like they will probably drag it out to 2023, but I would like to hope that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, even though maybe these next couple of years will be just as painful as it has been the last 10. Let's hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and let's hope that these guys do eventually sell up so we can go back to being West Ham United instead of West Ham London. Oh, man. Uh, you know, you, you fill me with a lot of faith, but I've been so jaded and so pessimistic, Liam, that I just don't know. Like, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like I'm not going to believe it till I see it. Oh, for it's sure. It's frustrating. You know, it, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like the first time I uh, ever, you know, saw boobs. You know, <laughs> I didn't think it was actually going to happen till it did. Till uh, it did. So, oh, man, it's just it's so infuriating because this club has such an amazing culture an amazing fan base. I mean, you go over to London and you ask any football supporter who are the best supporters West Ham's on that short list. Yeah. The West Ham United supporters are on that short list. They are diehard. They travel well. Um, you know, they're known for bubbles. There's so many iconic things and it's, it's a sleeping giant, Liam. It is. It's a sleeping giant. I think if you can, if they were a smart ownership group, they would understand that the easiest way forward is to get the supporters on on your side. And honestly, at this point, if I'm if I'm David Sullivan or David Gold, or God forbid, Karen Brady, I'm going to come out and apologize to the fans and go, "Look, we made all these promises to you guys, and we have yet to deliver on almost any of them. But we want to let you know that we are trying. We are listening to the feedback that you guys are giving us, and we can't promise that everything is going to change overnight. But you will see us make consistent strides forward to try to get this football club to the spot that we promised you guys it would be. But they have yet to actually come out and say that because their ego is too big for them to try to take that hit. 
to try to to try to reconcile the issues with the fans, to try to find some sort of uh, way forward together. Because it, at this point, it is very much just us versus them, and it almost seems like they're okay with that. Is it is it an ego, Liam, or is it idiocracy? I, I feel like, like I, it's got to be a little bit of both, right? Like a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, because you can't I willfully be I that stupid. All, I think I, 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 Liam, I'm, I hate to tell you this, but sometimes you give what's called the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. the benefit of the doubt, that, that the statute of limitations on that for them has expired long ago. Yeah, this is true. This is true. So this is idiocracy. And stupidity is what it is because it's like I told you, they, they run this club like an ostrich with its head buried in the sand. Yeah. They don't want to hear the noise. They want to do what they think. And that's how they want to operate. The one thing that I've learned as a teacher and as a coach is the one thing it's called the shelf life rule. Okay. And this is a psychology thing. You can hook it up. Anything that you do only lasts so long. A gallon of milk is only good for X amount of days. So the way you operate a football club or the way you coach a team, those tactics, the, those financial, um, the financial game plan that you may have, the way that I teach a classroom, when I teach a group of kids, the way I teach that lesson may only work for a couple of years. I have to alter it. Yeah. I have to keep evolving with the times and our owners are not doing that. They refuse they have to. They've never done that. Yeah, they refuse yeah. to. And that's the frustration. So look, we've been pretty, pretty negative right now. (laughs) I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to give you something right now that we did not plan on talking about, but I think that you'll be able to do it here. So I've got a three-part question for you. Okay. Number one is, do you think David Moyes walks on Friday? It is Friday right now in England, but for us, it's only 11 PM here in Fresno, California. Do you think David Moyes walks tomorrow? Where does West Ham United finish in the table? And finally, who is your hammer of the year? And is that person not even on the roster yet? Ooh, ooh I like all of that. All right, so first off, um, I think that there is a, a very high possibility that David Moyes does walk. The only reason I don't think he will is I don't think that he'll, I don't think he'll get another job, to be honest with you. Think about it. The, he was completely unemployed from the time that he uh, was not given the job. Uh, at the end of the last stint that he had with us while Manuel Pellegrini took over. So that was 18 months that the dude was unemployed. There was not another football club knocking at his door. And let's be honest, he was not just holding his bated breath waiting for West Ham United to come back around. He was just sitting there unemployed. So I, I could see that nagging at the back of his mind. And you also have to remember, like, he knew coming into this second stint what the board was like. Like, they didn't they didn't shell out money for him the first time he was with us. So it, it, it's, it would seem odd to me that, and this is no offense to Grady Diangana, but it would seem odd to me that now would be the time that he would go, nope, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm out. Peace. So I don't really think that he walks, but let's say that he does, right? For, for argument's sake. Who takes over? Kevin Nolan. Stuart Pierce. I'm okay with that. I actually think that those guys are, as former players, I think that they could they could rally the troops, right? Because there is already this uh, narrative forming that this is going to be the players against the board as well. So I could see them really banding together and getting that uh, camaraderie because they would have, you know, these former players that are able to almost commiserate 
<laughs> you know, with with the the uh, the current lineup. So I think that there is the possibility that um, if Moyes walks, that we would be okay in the interim until we were able to uh, to get a new manager in there. I don't know who the new manager would be because it doesn't seem like anybody else is willing to uh, uh, to work with GSB. Um, Hammer of the year. Man, that one's tough because obviously you would want to say maybe Declan Rice does the double, right? But I almost could guarantee you that based on the track record, GSB will try to sell his ass off. And then they will absolutely waste the money that they uh, that they get for him, which would probably be, you know, par for the course for them. Um, I could actually see uh, one of the newer guys. I could see either Thomas Suchek or Jared Bowen as potentially a hammer of the year. I think both of them stepped in in January and pretty much made an immediate impact. And we've really seen them continue their run, uh, their run of form in preseason. So I would like to see, I would like to see either one of them, them do it. But um, my heart of hearts says that this is probably Mark Noble's last season. So let's let him go out with a bang. And I'm going to say Mark Noble, let's he's, let's get him the hammer of the year. Okay. Where do you think we'll finish in the table? Oh, I think this is going to be yet another relegation scrap. I think that we do um, scrape by a little bit better uh, than we did uh, this previous year. I think that after the first seven games, we're probably sitting in the bottom three. Uh, but I think especially towards the latter half of the season, it looks like our games get um, uh, fairly easier. I mean, there's really no easy game in the Premier League anymore. Uh, but I could see us probably finishing, I'd say, a 13th. Okay, I... I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel like you've been hanging out with me too much because <laughs> I'm normally the pessimistic one, but I have different thoughts here. So oh, nice. I, All right. I, I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell you, I don't think David Moyes walks. Nice. And it's, it has nothing to do with, um, it has nothing to do with the fact that he can't get a job. I think he doesn't walk because I think a lot of that shit we heard is not true. Yeah. Um, I, I do think there may have been a little bit of a bust up, but, the one thing I've learned about West Ham fans, and yes, I'm calling you guys out, is everything gets overblown. Oh, yeah. Everything gets overblown. So, you know, it's kind of like talking to my sister. You know, sometimes uh, she's like, I was bleeding so much. And then I look at the cut and it's not, there's no blood. It's just red. <laughs> you know, it's just stuff like that. It gets overblown. It's, it's ridiculous. I, I don't. I think if something would have happened on that level, I think Moyes would have walked right then, right there. You know, I think he would have just been gone at that exact moment. Um, so I don't think Moyes walks. Now, if Moyes walks, what I'm about to say further, everything changes. Okay. Um, the one thing David Moyes has done very well um, since we came back from COVID is we were playing good football. We were defending better. Uh, we were, you know, he was, I felt his substitutions were very, very good. He found a role for Yarmolenko, which I understand Yarmolenko, you lose a little bit of pace, but the creativity the guy has, he has to get on the pitch, bringing him on in the 60, 65th, 70th minute, pretty much the last four games of the season proved to be a very dangerous move. Yarmolenko straight up won the Chelsea game for us with his ability to put that goal in. So, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to tell you right now that based on the last four games, West Ham United did not lose. And so they did not lose in those last four matches. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think West Ham United finished 11th. Nice. Top, top of the bottom half of the table. <laughs> um, 
And that's with the current squad that we have. Cause I don't think we bring anybody. I don't think the Burnley defenders coming. No. And honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I think David Moyes has a clear cut plan. I like the youth that he's going to start involving in the team. I think in the January transfer window or whenever the next window opens, I, who knows it's going to be in January because of COVID, but whenever the new uh, window opens up, I do think West Ham will buy a defender at that point. I think it'll be a defender of note. Um, but I think West Ham finish 11th, and I think they do because I can't believe I'm saying this. I think David Moyes has figured out how to use this team. Yeah. There were so many times that I was infuriated with the moves that he was made and who he was starting, but I feel like the players really like him, and I, I'll give you the, the thing that meant the most to me. This is kind of where everything uh, changed. When Declan Rice hit that screamer yeah. um, when we came back, Declan Rice was on his way to the corner, but he stopped and he went and hugged Moyes. Declan's our best player. Yeah. If our best player is hugging David Moyes, no matter how I feel about the man, he's getting through to the players and we were playing better. So I, I have to eat a little crow again and I have to say, I think we're going to finish around 11th and I, I wouldn't be shocked if we're above that. I'm being honest. I would not. My hammer of the year is, it's unmistakable. It would be Thomas Suchek. Nice. I've I have never seen a guy as good in the air um, as him since Andy Carroll. I love the way that he plays. He's finally we have found somebody to replace Kuyate, and I think he's better than Kuyate. So Kuyate, I loved Kuyate, a true box to box midfielder. Love the way he played. But Thomas Suchek, we've only barely begun to scratch the surface of what he's going to mean for us. And now that he's kind of found his rhythm in the team, and now that the guys are trusting him, oh, every corner that comes in, he's going to be the guy. I bet you money, mark it down, Liam. I'll go a little further. I bet he scores six header goals this year. Dude, He's I think he is fucking Casper the friendly ghost, bro. He, he floats in, and people just lose him as a mark. And even when somebody does pick him up, he towers over them anyways. So he's still able to get ahead on the ball. I'm with you, dude. I think I think at least six goals, uh, they're all going to be headers. I don't think he puts one in the back of the net with his foot. I think it's all head. Well, that leads us to this. So, so you've got him 13th. I've got him 11th. You've got Bowen or Suchek. I'm clearly going all in on Suchek. You think Moyes could walk today. You have a pretty good indication. I think Moyes is sticking around. Um, well, I so think no, I, I think I think he sticks around, but I, I was saying for argument's sake, if if he leaves, what what are we left with? Like, what what's the thing? But like I said, I I honestly I don't think he has another job, <laughs> so he's going to stick it out at this one. And that leads us into the game preview. And as you know, this Saturday, game time has been moved. If you're on the West Coast, the game is now at noon. Um, so just so FYI, if you're looking to come watch with the Fresno Irons, we'll be watching at the Swole Hole. I know that sounds like a male strip club, but it's not. Ah, oh, bummer. Okay. <laughs> I was really so hoping. Make sure you uh, IM or DM the Fresno Irons on any social media platform, and we will get you that address um, to watch. We are uh, going to be concerned about social distancing. We are not going to a bar, but we have a plan in place for all of you guys to join us if you so choose. Um, we play Newcastle. Newcastle um, will be playing with a West Ham fan. Um, excuse me, a wet, not only a West Ham fan, but John Joe Shelby, a West Ham player for some strange reason, um, is not playing for West Ham United. I still don't quite understand that. He should be. But um, he absolutely should be. So when you look at this match that's coming up against Newcastle, 
Newcastle finished fairly well last year. I want to say they were like 11th or 12th, I believe. Is that correct, Liam? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So Newcastle, excuse me, they finished 13th last year. Oh, there you go. So they finished three spots above West Ham United. And when I look at this situation, Newcastle have brought in a striker West Ham have been linked with, which means he will score against us in Callum Wilson. Um, they will also will have another goal from John Joe Shelby, another player that we've been linked with. If you don't know the curse of West Ham United, if we get linked with you, you score upon us when we play you because we'll <laughs> never put in the correct amount to bring you over to us. So not the easiest of games for West Ham United. The good news is we do get to open it up at the London Stadium. Um, we don't get to open it up in front of our fans, obviously, for COVID reasons. So when you're looking at this game, we don't have much to go off other than some transfers that we know will be featured for Newcastle. We know what Newcastle did to us last year. Um, so what do you kind of think how this match is going to play out? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in hopeful that we get a draw. I mean, I, I think that based on what we were able to see in preseason, I thought that uh, my hopes probably would have been a little bit higher, but let's keep be honest, we were playing against, you know, um, you know, second division teams. So obviously we we would be able to put, you know, five and four past uh, other teams respectively. Uh, I think the Bournemouth match gave me a little bit more concern uh, because here's a team that we should should be able to beat on any given day. Like Bournemouth should not give us uh, issues, especially not to be able to put, what was the final score? It was like 5-3. Like what sort of devastation was that? It was, you know, that was some grade A bullshit. So uh, I'm, I'm a little more tentative going up against a team like Newcastle, as you said, Callum Wilson has categorically um, always found the back of the net against us. I think he netted, he's netted like seven goals, like the last like eight times that he's seen us. So it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So um, I could see him scoring. Uh, and then Miguel Almarone is always a threat. Uh, you know, whether he puts in the, the goal himself or if he's just creating uh, from a from midfield position, I think that that's also a threat as well. I'm hoping that we walk out of there with a 2-2. Uh, and I would say that uh, it's going to be Mikel Antonio and Thomas Suchek will be the two that score for us. Suchek with his head. I, I'm going to be honest. I think um, West Ham United are going to batten down the hatches. They're going to pull together. I think Mikel Antonio will continue his form. I think he gets the goal. Um, I think we get another goal from Jared Bowen because I honestly think Jared Bowen might be the fastest player on the pitch outside of Ryan Fredericks. Um, Almiron, uh, I know he's a fast player, but I don't think he can handle Jared Bowen. Um, And I, I think if you put them in a race, I think Bowen wins that race. So when I'm looking at it, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think Callum Wilson gets the goal. I think John Joe Shelby hits the crossbar. I have a 2-1 win for West Ham United. Nice. Um, I think they're going to change everything about the way they look at it, and I think it's going to be the players and the manager against the board, and they're going to win in spite of them. And they're and I think you're gonna. I think the narrative is going to start being when um, when players are asked or the managers asked, like, what do you need the board to do? Oh, they're doing. They don't need to do anything. They just need to stay in their box. And, you know, they are doing such a phenomenal job, kind of like a situation where, you know, you're listening to your parents, but now you're 18 years old and you don't, you don't have to actually answer (laughs) to them anymore. That's what I think West Ham United are about to do. And I think with all this uncertainty, with all this negativity, I think we actually have a really strong locker room. 
And I don't think that the players are infighting. And I think we've got great leadership with a guy like Mark Noble. And I think we got a guy like Mikhail Antonio who's checked himself and now keeps the locker room loose. And then I think we've added a few other pieces that balance out the locker room beautifully. And I think we go out there and we perform. And I think Newcastle thinks they're going to roll us and we're going to come out there. We're going to hit them in the mouth. And I'm excited for this season, believe it or not, with all the negativity. Um, I just think West Ham United find a way to win 2-1. I do think Callum gets his. But I think we win this game 2-1, and if we start off with a win, there's no telling what this team can do. It'll be the first time that we started off with a win since I think the last season at the Bowl Inn. Nice. Yeah. Which uh, would be a hell of a lot better than last season's 5-1 loss to Man City. So I will take uh, I will take a 2-1 win. I will also gladly take a 2-2 draw. Um, I'm usually opposed to a nil-nil draw because I feel like those can typically be very boring. But if it's a fun cagey match with a lot of back and forth, maybe some crossbars or some badass saves, I'm in for it. I mean, as long as as long as these guys, like you said, they come together and they give us hope. Can't ask for better than that. I think that's the way you have to uh, – I think that's the perfect way to end it, Liam, is, is every West Ham fan, the one thing we've never struggled with is hope. And yep. we have to keep that narrative going. So – this brings us to the close of the first episode of season two. I want to thank you guys to stuck around and listen. Um, we do appreciate it. Always get involved with the show. Um, American hammers radio um, on Twitter. Um, feel free to drop us a line, leave us a comment, tell us how much you hate our voices and we'll do our best to, you know, do the next one with Southern accents or maybe we go Boston. We're not going to go English because we know we suck at those. But, <laughs> this is um, true. We do want to say thank you so much for listening. Uh, we want to do a, a little uh, PSA here. Um, something that's very uh, near and dear to our hearts here in Fresno is the Suicide uh, Prevention ha- Lifeline. Um, in the event that if you ever feel like it's too heavy or anything, and you start to have those kind of thoughts, by all means, feel free to reach out to 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. We want you to know that West Ham United has always prided themselves in being a family. And if you support the Claret and Blue, even if you don't, and you're listening to this podcast, you are a part of our family. So just know that we are here for you and there's somebody that will be here for you um, if you're not in the city of Fresno. So just know that we are here for you. We love you. And we are West Ham United until we die. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, come come on, on, you irons. irons.